you guys got there. it. If you do, show sure. it. There you remember goes, yesterday you heard from uh, Pastor Jose Jimenez from Las Vegas, and I, he was telling you what the partnership has done to take him from 200 to 3,000. I just wanted you to see the building that he showed me on his iPad that he's doing. Look at the building they're building. And, and this is the $8 million facility. Ne next slide. Look at that. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Look at that. Next slide. Is that it? To God be the glory. That's the kind of thing you partners are doing all over the world. That's what you're making possible, just by sending me with what God filled me up with for five decades. Now, I, I was corrected. Todd came up. He said, Dad, you said that Jesus was the extreme discipler, and wouldn't it be better if you had an XD instead of an ID? And the rest of you were weak and timid. You all knew that was wrong. How many knew that was wrong? <laughs> Thanks for loving on me like that. We were enjoying that you made a mistake. <laughs> what? What did, what did he say? We were enjoying that you made a mistake. <laughs> I know. It's so rare that I need to use an eraser. Okay. So, Jesus... Jesus was the extreme discipler, the extreme discipler, the XD. And let's just look in Mark here quickly, in Mark. And I won't give you all the verses and everything, but in Mark. And when they were alone, he explained everything. He, he expounded all things to his disciples. He sent them forth. He uh, and his disciples followed him followers. And you're developing what? Followers that lead. Pastor always loves, loves it when he first heard this and he said it numerous, numerous, I think he said it last night. There go my people and I'm their leader. That's what you want. That's what you're trying to cultivate. People that are moving out with the vision and you got to catch up with them. When you come back to the table, they've gone further. It's not like you're pulling people along and they're digging in the heels. No, they're ahead of you pulling you. Amen. You've got to catch up with you. There go my people and I'm their leader. He commanded them. He instructed them. He questioned them. We're going to get to that in just a minute. He warned them. He taught them. He, took them. he rebuked them. He stated the matter plainly. Those are all pulled out of Mark, just Mark. Discipler CEO, empowerment ship, performance ship, facilitation ship, empowerment ship. Covered that a minute ago, but people get excited and get things done that they never dreamed they could do because of you. Because no one ever gave them the tools and the freedom before. The tools and the freedom before. Performance ship, 
by tracking performance against measurable goals. We, I'm just reading you something I wrote in the margin here on the handout you got. By tracking performance against measurable goals, we give our people, God's people, clarity and purpose and a clear understanding of what needs to be done today and a clear path to take them to the next level. If you motivate people properly with a sense of purpose, they will execute for you. They will execute for you. If you say, they don't seem to get it, they don't want to move, they don't, they don't, they're not self-initiating, they're not, whose fault is that? The leader. No discipleship or improper, dysfunctional discipleship. Facilitationship, these are all ships, part of discipleship. Sitting down, facilitation ship, which we're going to do at the table. That's what's happening in that oval there, the table. Sitting down with people regularly, a team of people. So more than one person learns at the same time. And explaining things clearly. Then they really listen to how each team member sees the challenges of the job and you provide the resources and freedom to get it done. But they learn collectively team discipleship. A lot of this is off of you. You're, you're 30% and growing to 50%, but it's how you facilitate the team meeting. They're going to cross rough and train each other. They're going to listen and train each other, work to e with each other in unity. This is how seemingly, this is how ministries become successful that just se are seemingly successful. Large, big grist mill, but no discipleship. So people's lives really aren't being changed in terms of their contribution to the kingdom work. I'm going to break down these because this is, these are the ingredients to discipleship. Wisdom, counsel, understanding, counsel, and knowledge. Just so you understand the difference from Webster. Wisdom is the power of true and, white, and right discernment or godly discernment the power of true and right discernment. So you have to help them discern what's true and right, not just how to live life, but how to work God's kingdom work, understanding how to know the meaning and importance of conformity to a course of action. That's understanding. That's what the, the dictionary would tell you, it, me, understanding me. To come to know the meaning and importance of conformity to a course of action. So you direct the course, and then we, your job as a discipler is to facilitate their conformity to that course. A course of action, a trajectory like that, or a course of behavior where we function in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, then third was counsel, mutual exchange of advice an opinion on what to do. That's why you work in teams, once again. There's a mutual exchange of advice or counsel or common sense so that we can come up with the right solution and turn an issue into an opportunity. With a team, not you. You don't have to figure this out anymore. That's what I said the other day. Your job is not to do it. Your job is to Lead it, direct it, and disciple it. And knowledge, information acquired through experience, practical ability, or skill. 
information acquired so that we acquire qualitative facts, a quantitative facts like that, 10 to 15%, 80 in the youth group, number of salvations, number of infillings of the Holy Spirit, facts, qualitative, uh, quantitative facts. And then qualitative facts are what people see and think and feel, what you, sister, see and think and feel, and you, pastor, see and think and feel, what you, Don, see, see and think and feel, what I see and think and feel, what Pastor John sees and thinks and feels. They're all facts. We may not agree. Good. Then we get all the facts out on the table. They're all out on the table. So we've got a multitude of counsel, a lot of wisdom, and then we can make the right decision. Okay, the key components to working the Proverbs process or discipling the Proverbs process are questions, questions, listen, safe harbor, and honesty. Let's unpack questions a little here because questions are your greatest tool. The art of asking questions about the right thing to the right person at the right time in the right way requires skill. Requires skill. So let's look at what Jesus taught us when he discipled when he was with his disciples and he was discipling, he was a master at asking questions. And I'll just give you a few. I, just, I, want, I want you to understand the value of questions and how masterful Jesus was at asking questions. Two main reasons that he did, and this could be a session right here just so that we could unpack or study uh, the, the, the values of and what he portrayed or, or exemplified in the art of asking questions. But the two main things are when you ask somebody a question, when you're sitting here, where's Gert Jan? Gert Jan is a CEO in the Netherlands. And he came to Bonn, Germany with his pastor, Hans Udorf, and he came four years ago now, or three, three, four years ago, three and a half, it was in the fall. And he came, and he was here last year, he, get, he shared his testimony, and he said one of the, and he, he was one of four division heads in his company, and these three divisions didn't have a profit in this economy. He was the only one, he said, that had a profit in this economy. And he attributed it to God's system. And he, told, he shared with us that we were here last year. He attributed it to God's system. He said that was why we were profitable. And he shared why. He said the system, team, he said I built teams. And then he said I, I, asked the, I learned the art of asking questions. And that was huge for him. And then his, his boss said, you, you obviously know something. I want you to be the CEO of all four divisions. Am I, am I right? He's a humble man, so he's embarrassed now. I'll look the other way. And <laughs> so he, they made him CEO over all four divisions when he, when he did this. And the, but the art of doing this right here, what Jesus did, he did. But he, he attributed it, when he stood up here last year, he attributed it to asking questions. And the other thing he said, when he sent me the email about the stock, he said, when 
when I was the smartest guy on the team, he said, we, we weren't doing much. But when I got people on my team smarter than me, we took off. Guys, that's the key. Amen. So we, let's, we got to develop the ones God's given us. He's entrusted them to our care. So let's start with them. But if they don't want to change, they don't want to learn these things, they don't want to respond to the questions we ask appropriately, then we got to replace them. Because we got to get God's work done. He's going to hold us accountable. So Jesus called attention to his words. See, when you ask a question, people cannot escape from the situation. When you're sitting here and you ask a question, they're a captive audience. They have to think. We need more thinkers. And you need to have people that think smarter than you do. That's where things will really torque. So he called attention to his words. He's walking along with them. He asked them a question. They couldn't escape. They had to answer it. Right? And then the second thing that, it, that he did was by asking the question, they had to figure out the answer. And they had to agonize over it. And they had to think it through. And then they gave him an answer, and then what did he do? He coached them from there. He didn't tell them what to do. He coached them from that point on. Oh, he had to tell them what the kingdom was. He had to tell them what the standards were, what the code of conduct is here, what our DNA is going to be in this kingdom. He had to tell them that. But beyond that, he asked questions to call attention to his words. And when people discover the learning, they own it. So he was the master facilitator. So here's some of the questions he asked. You know these this will just trigger, I hope this will trigger discipleship in you every time you see one of these in red in your training manual. Who do you say that I am? So what was his strategy? He was so strategic. I said that earlier. He was intentional and strategic about discipleship. So he said, who do you say that I am? And what was the strategy? So the second part after the question for all of these will be, what's the strategy? He capitalized on a teachable moment. He modeled humility and emotional maturity. He, I mean, he said, who do you say that I am? He, like, I see a lot of leaders telling people what they need to know. Hey, right here, Mr. Big, number uno, me. <laughs> Jesus didn't do that. He could have said number uno from the top, straight from Mr. Big. No, he just said, who do you say that I am? They'll discover who you are by the way you behave. How many loaves do you have? And the strategy was he invited his disciples into the problem or, and a solution. He didn't lecture on, lo look, you knuckleheads, you got five basic loaves. What do you want me to do for you? Show, the strategy was to convey uh, care, concern, and compassion. Was the baptism from John or from them? To counter a culture and initiate the right culture. Why are you so afraid to make a teachable Point, making a teaching point. Why are you thinking these things? He challenged their motives. You're going to find, you're going to be doing a lot of that. You know, you got to, what, what is Jesus doing on the screen right over there and here? What's he doing? What is he doing? Yes. Specifically, what is he doing? It's number two. Yeah, he's He's listening. He's listening, and why did I say that? I lost my place now. You interrupted me. Uh, what do you, why, uh, 
What was the point? I, what was the last thing I read? Yeah, um, challenging motives. Yeah, why are you thinking these things? Uh, what are you arguing with them about? Depth charge question. I'll tell you what those are. To surface an issue. What are you arguing with them about? He was trying to, he was surfacing an issue so that they could apply some common sense to it and turn it into a teachable point, an opportunity for growth and learning. Which of these three was the true neighbor? He set up their own discovery. And then what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? He conveyed his value point of view. So that, the, these were, that's why this is so important and that's why we need to become more skillful at doing these things. And then where do you ask questions? Well, it's in the product. But I'll give you some helpful hints here quickly. One, and somebody mentioned it uh, yesterday, I think one of the three advisory board members that were up here, but somewhere along the line somebody mentioned, you know, when you go to the mountain, you ask God. You, go, you get direction from God. The best way to get clarity of direction is to ask him, how am I doing, Lord? What are you seeing? What am I missing? Give me a report card on how I did last year with what you challenged me to learn and to change and to grow in. So we're asking God questions, and I can't unpack that right now. But you listen to his answers. But asking God questions is a good way to stimulate some dialogue. Uh, delegation. You're, when you're delegating to someone, and I mentioned these yesterday, then you add, once you've directed them to do something, you're, you're sitting in the chair, you've directed somebody to do something or the whole team to do so, the same thing in terms of behavior, for example, then you say, do you understand? That's a question. Can you convey back to me what it is you understand? Speak it into being. Get them to speak it into being. Get it relayed back to you. Then thirdly, can you commit to this? What good is it for you to provide direction you don't have any commitment? You know what that's like, right? Oh, you, you all get commitments immediately. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the, no commitment. Can you commit? Do you understand? Can you confirm for me that you do understand? Speak it out. Tell me. Somebody tell you, George. Tell us what it is I expect. Okay, can you all commit to this? And then... Here are the consequences if we don't. If we don't honor our commitment. See, we still have a safe harbor. If they say, I can't commit to that, Pastor. We're homeschooling the kids. Uh, we, whatever it is. Mom, dad passed away. Mom moved in. We can't, I can't commit to that. Fine, we give you a safe harbor. Tell us the truth. We can deal with the truth. What we can't do, deal with is dishonesty, which is the, it comes in these little righteous packages like placation, to placate you. They'll tell you yes, because you're the man of God, I have to say yes to everything, and not do it. That's ridiculous. <laughs> then, Proverbs process. Ask those entrusted to you, so what are we doing here? We're asking questions to those that have been entrusted to us. How do you see this? If you were me, Jane, what would you do? All of you. What, 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 what common sense can you give me about this situation? How do you feel about this? Even about me. Even about the leader. I'm going to have Pastor Whitfield come up and share something with you a little bit. 
and remind me, okay, Pastor? But I, uh, I, I want him to share something with you because, see, this, this, these, this ha- is both ways. This works both ways. We have a safe harbor both ways. People can, need to be able to say what they see and think and feel. But, they, but every bit of it, this is godly communication here. This is not, oh, the, the team leader or the pastor brought correction, discipline, discipleship to the team, so that somebody on the team, so this week I'm going to nail him, you know. I think what he's doing isn't, I don't agree with it. That's fine not to agree with it, but you treat it with respect. You don't come from the flesh and the natural. It's godly communication. There's a whole section on godly communication in that product. Gap leadership, you ask for facts and what we're going to do to change it. When thing, something's off the mark, you don't go home and fix it and get in your lazy boy. You ask him, what are we going to do about this right here? What are we going to do about this? Or if you didn't recognize it and it started to unravel, look, what is this red here? Wandering around in the wilderness. Wandering around in the wilderness because you don't have the facts. You're just busy doing everybody. So we need the facts. We can't. Look how long. If, if it's here, first of all, if you're listening... It'll be, you'll fix it before it occurs, before it even smacks you in the face. Then it's a little gap here, easy to snap it back on and keep moving. When it gets over here, look how long it takes to get back over here to continue. And look at the damage that's been done, because we don't recognize the facts, or we recognize them and we're too weak to deal with them. We don't take owner, we don't take control over it. Then... Questions, how about this one? Judging yourself rightly. Questioning your own, am I, am I doing this? Am I working in the job description? Am I being honest with people? Or am I still beating around the bush and mincing words? And then conflict, conflict resolution, coaching. I, I really believe that's in there, a whole section, a couple hours. That's worth that price, just to learn how to do this effectively. Who would agree that's bought that? Yeah, look at that. that. That is worth it. They pay a lot of money out there in the world. To, you just go to a course, $5,000 to learn how to do that. And in confrontation, conflict resolution, same thing. Do you, did you, do you understand what I expect? Can you do it? Will you do it? What changes are you going to have to make to make that happen? What you just agreed to? And then depth charge questions. See, depth charge questions, questions in general, but depth charge questions surface things that you ordinarily wouldn't, people aren't discussing, people aren't thinking about, and so forth. And you'll be amazed when you ask questions, the, the, the answers you get. That's how you, see, you listen, like on the flat screen, you listen so as to disciple. He's listening. So as to disciple. You ask questions. You, how, do you, what, how do you get anything to listen to? You have to ask a question, right? And I'll just give you uh, one that I like to tell, and since Todd's here, I'm going to tell it this time, and some of you have heard it. But uh, it was, we just had the Super Bowl, and uh, he was really elated with the Giants winning. Yeah. 
because we lived in New York and when he was three years old they bought him a giant's helmet a big the, not a little cardboard thing you know <laughs> the real thing like Sam Huff and then um, Lawrence Taylor wore and so he had it was the Lawrence Taylor era and uh, he had the big real helmet he was three years old and so he's been a Giants fan ever since I used to be a Giants fan that's why I got him the helmet but then you know, I like to be with teams that win, so, so, so I, I was for the Patriots, unfortunately, this year, and, uh, you know, but I like to be with winners. That's why I like being with you guys, winners, yeah. But, uh, so Todd was three, and I bought him the, he had his helmet, the, the big helmet, and we were going to go out in the backyard and play a game, football, and so... Todd was, like I said, about how tall are you when you're three? Like that? Yeah. And so we went out in the backyard, and we were going to have a heck of a game. You know? and, and so I'd, and we were about this far apart. That was a down and outer, you know, and, there, and, there, and so I threw the ball to him, and then he threw it back to me. And then it, it was going good until about the fourth pass and I threw it a little off center over there and because the helmet <laughs> he fell over and then it didn't go real good from that point on yeah so I picked him up and hugged him and we laid down in the grass and we're laying side by side in the grass and he's right here in my arms and it was one of those magical days you know in the fall where the sun it, the air's cool, the grass is kind of moist, but the sun is still warm, and you got those spirit bumps popping all over you, you know, it's just, and then this is a moment right here anyway, because I got Todd right here in my arms, and so I figured, you know, I'll ask him a question. So, question. So, I'm, we're laying, I'm laying here like this, and I'm enjoying the clouds blowing by, and he's here, and he's looking up at me like this. I'm looking up at Dad like this. And so I said, so Todd, what do you want to be when you grow up? Long, nothing. <laughs> and, you know, you've got to give it some hang time, you know, so I'm hanging and nothing. So I ventured out again. I said, so Todd, what do you want to be when you grow up? looking over at me. Long pause again. Then he said, when I grow up, I want to have hair in my nose. <laughs> so, what's, what's the point? <laughs> the, what's the point? The point is you never know what you're going to get when you ask a question. <laughs> So you listen so as to disciple. <laughs> okay. So we ask questions. We listen so as to disciple. We provide a safe harbor. Pastor, come on up. Pa Pastor Whitfield, come on up. And then you have total and absolute honesty. And these two work together. You have to be honest with them, and you give them a safe harbor. Come on over to the table. 
and, and uh, you, you give them a safe harbor to say what they see and think and feel done with respect. So I've asked Pastor, he, you sit there because you, you were the CEO and I'll, I won't say anything, but I'll be <laughs> one of your leaders here. And tell them what happened in those two instances that are so instructional. Okay. In one of the instances that uh, Dr. Atke asked me to share with you, because I called him right after it happened, and, uh, shoo, I don't know why I cried. Um, I know this is probably not going to fit in what I want to say, but Dr. Atke never cried until he came here, and uh, I did all the crying. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so I cried it, all the way home, though, I'll tell you that. I, 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 <laughs> hallelujah. I did all the crying when he was here. But, uh, but uh, in, in the meeting that he's talking about, that one of, the, one of the incidents that took place, it seemed like it happened every year. But in this particular time, uh, Tom Stockton, our executive administrator, came to me and said, Pastor, he said, um, I... I I just want you to know that um, it really seems and appears that you're really not focused on where we're headed, on what we're doing. And I have a job to do, and it's my job to keep the staff and everybody accountable in moving forward, and I cannot do it without you giving us good direction. And I need you to give good direction, and right now you're not focused in giving good direction. And, of course, I said, Tom, you're exactly right. Uh, and he, he, he encouraged me and challenged me to get back in my position and to lead. And I asked him at that time, I asked the team, I said, I need you all to help me. He said, right now I'm not focused, but I need you to assist me and to help me get back in position. And what I found out, what Tom and I have discussed is, uh, and we've discussed this more than once because what I found out is that every year, seemingly there for a month or maybe even a little longer, I would become unfocused. I would lose my point of interest. I would lose my point of direction. And when I became unfocused, the team has no direction to go where we need to go. And so uh, I've encouraged Tom and the team to help keep me focused. And uh, we've been doing a little better. I've asked, have I done better? And and they'll say, ah, a little better, no. But, uh, <clears throat> but it's, a point of, it's a point that we've got to make sure that we as the CEOs stay focused and where we're headed. But you also have to have a safe harbor that your team has the freedom to share that with you, and they feel comfortable doing it. It works both ways. It works both ways. The other incident that Dr. Radke asked me to share is we're in a team meeting. This was years ago. We're in a team meeting. And Pastor Barr speaks up, and Pastor Barr says, Pastor, um, I don't think you hold Pastor Holcomb as accountable as you hold the rest of us accountable. Pastor Holcomb is sitting in the meeting with the rest of the team. Shoo. And I said, Pastor Barr, you're exactly right. I don't. I said, Pastor Holcomb and I have been friends for years, and it's very hard for me to hold him as accountable as I hold the rest of you. It's a weakness that I have. Shoo. So I said, I'm asking y'all to help me and help Pastor Holcomb help me hold him accountable. And so um, they agreed. We did. 
And, uh, and there are even times now that there are certain situations to where I sometimes have a hard time holding them, holding them accountable in some situations. But what the reason was is I was really, because we were friends, I was really trying to protect him. And, uh, and you cannot do the job for an individual and protect their future and protect what you desire for them to do. You've got to hold everyone on the team accountable. And there's another one that's just powerful, if I may share it, Dr. Atkins. We were in a team meeting and talk about asking questions. I, I came into that team meeting because I thought that there was a problem. We had not seen people saved on Sunday morning. And so uh, I came in, and my thought of what I thought the problem was, uh, I mean, I thought I knew what the problem was, but I did not come into the meeting and say, you know, uh, Pastor Barr, you're over discipleship, you're over follow-up, and your team is not doing their job, and I want you to get a better team to follow up on those because I know God's not sending the lost in because y'all are not doing your job and follow up on those that got saved. Now, that's exactly what I thought. But I came into the meeting, rather than saying that, I came into the meeting and I said, Guys, we're not seeing people saved on Sunday morning um, like we had been. Do y'all know what the problem may be. Well, there was total silence in the room. And, of course, everyone's got their that notebooks. The, that was the question. That was the question. So what's the problem, guys? Yeah, and no one answered. There was so, total silence in the room. You know, everyone has uh, got their uh, pads in their book. Could you hand me that Bible for a moment? Thank you. Everyone has got their pads in their lap, you know, and they're taking notes. And all of a sudden, Pastor Barr spoke up. And he said, Pastor... I think you're preaching too long and you're rushing the altar call at the end of the service. Every head in the room went. <laughs> <laughs> including my wife's. Because you know why they did that? They thought in just a moment they were going to see Pastor Barr's head <laughs> rolling across the floor because he was going to get it cut off by me. The pre you, you just told the pastor he's preaching too long. And I said, wait a minute, guys. What is this? Everybody get your heads back up. Come on. We have a safe harbor here. Everyone get your heads up. They all did. But I'm not still sure they were quite settled on it. But they did. They looked up. And I sat there for just a moment. And I looked at Pastor Barr. And I looked at the team. And I said, Pastor Barr, you're exactly right. And the very next Sunday... I cut my preaching off a little short, took my time giving the altar call, and 16 people came forward. Hallelujah. Now, had I come into that meeting with what I thought was the problem and jumped on Pastor Barr, we'd have never realized what the issue was. And it was the art of asking questions that caused it. I surely didn't think it was me that was the problem. <laughs> Now, I knew I was a problem by not staying focused. I knew I was not holding uh, this pastor accountable the way that I should. But I certainly did not think I was the problem on why people were not being saved as they should. And, uh, but in asking the questions, we found out. And, and, you, and uh, if you create that safe harbor and you give your team the freedom to share 
what they feel, what they think, and to ask you questions. Now, there are times, I have to be honest, there are times that we've shared things that I've reacted uh, to it, and I've had to repent. I don't mind repenting when I make a mistake. And I've reacted because I'm, I'm human just like everyone else is. And so, and I would react, but then I'd have to come back and repent and say, and, and keep creating the safe harbor for the team. And modeling. Modeling, modeling. for them. And, and because I have reacted when they said something, or, and then I'd have to continue to uh, cause them to have the freedom to share what they had to share and, and felt like they needed to share. So, uh, and, but my wife loves depth charge questions, and, and asking questions is dynamite. So thank you, Dr. Radke. So. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Pastor. Yep. Leaning on your own understanding, not good. Well, there's, there's one thing we need to make sure we understand the caveat here. Uh, that happens, and it should happen frequently, and it look, works both ways. Communication, partnership, relationship works both ways, works both ways here. But let, let me just make sure we, we understand. This is God-directed communication. I made mention of that a minute ago, but let me emphasize something. You leaders and you, and you CEOs, you must give your leaders an opportunity to do what he just shared. But you leaders must know that your job is to plant the seed because God puts things on your heart and in your mind and in your spirit, just like Pastor Barr and Pastor Stocking. He put that on them, and they shared it. And it was the right thing. But, God, but if God puts things on you, you have to share them. And we as leaders have to provide that safe harbor. But we, have to, we only plant the seed one time. We don't badger the pastor and the CEO. We don't treat them with disrespect. We say it in love. We say it with respect. And we say it one time. Whose job is it to grow the seed? Yes, begins with G. God, yeah, so he'll take care of it. Your job, though, many times is to simply plant it, and then you leave it there and let God take care of it from that point on. We don't badger and pester and, and hit him six ways to Sunday till he sees it your way. God will do that job. Now, let's, let's jump down to here, to this. this. This is this concept, the process concept, the Proverbs total involvement empowerment process done in real time with real people. So here's the L now. This L is down here. Any leader, any leader, the senior pastor, the CEO of a corporation, the team leader, the generalist leader, whatever. The leader here, the, any leader here, any leader here. The leader's the facilitator. The leader's the discipler of men here. That's your principal responsibility. There's three things we're going to write here. First one is don't work alone. Back to the, the picture of the lonely leader walking through the dark, overt, or ominous tundra of ministry life alone. You work with a team, and you do 90-plus percent of your work with a team, which I'll illustrate why in a minute, because you're, that's where you disciple. If you meet one-on-one, -on -one, you're discipling with one. And four other people didn't learn anything. If you disciple with the other chair, and we just meet separately back there behind the curtain, then the rest of the team didn't learn anything. 
So it's not efficient. It's not effective. They learn from each other's mistakes. They learn from each other's best practices, which is what corporations leverage all the time. Best practices. So we don't work alone. Secondly, we generate facts. That's what you do here. What is the leader doing? Gathering facts from the leaders. That's why the arrows are pointing in. They're fact-gathering, fact, fact gathering the facts, as many facts as you can, because the facts represent issues in the ministry that when we analyze them, we can direct them and turn them into opportunities. The key to building a ministry, the key to getting to this V and then that V, the key to fulfilling your destiny and purpose is to get all the issues out on the table. Now, if you're overwhelmed, frustrated, stressed out, and everybody on the team is burned out because we have no depth, they have nobody to delegate to, you don't have anybody, there's a limit to what they can do because they're not trained, not disciple. then you don't want to know about any more facts. I can't deal with one more fact and I'm out of here. One more issue and I'm history. I can't take this. That's what Pastor Cassie said. I can't, I'm, I don't want to know about any more facts. And I'm not taking this church to a bigger place because it's destroying me and my family, and I refuse to do it because there'll just be more issues over there than there are here. Well, we want more issues, but we have, a, have to have a system and an infrastructure that will support more issues. And you lead them, you direct them, but you don't do them. I told you that the, uh, yesterday. You're not the doer, it's not your job. So, but it is your job to get as many facts out on the table as you possibly can. And in that product, we, I illustrate just in one little section of ministry right here, I illustrate about a dozen facts that you're not even, that you don't have. And that's just one little area of ministry. Doesn't cover all of the other stuff you're doing. So we need to generate the facts. And then when, we're, when we have the facts out here on the table, then we can turn them in. We can, well, first you have every arrow facing reality. We're all facing reality. Now something is going to change. Until we got reality out on the table, nothing's going to change. Until you see, stare in this thing in your face, 10 to 15%, we don't have a plan to change. Oh, we're telling the greeters, you know, stop telling people it's hot out and greet them. You know, isn't it hot? That's not greeting. And the same, you know, we, that's, you know, we tweak in little stuff, but we're not, we don't have a plan to turn 10 into 20 or 15 into 30. So we need to face reality, put issues. So that's the formula, guys. Issues and problems turned into opportunities. Issues, problems, turned into opportunities. That's what you do in this meeting. So they're coming to the table, but this is not a dumping ground. This, they come, this is important. They come, they can come with an issue, but they have a solution. See, a problem without a solution is a complaint, and you've got enough of that. You got enough problems without solutions, so you're so overladen with complaints. All this discernment that people have about all the things that are wrong. We're majors in discernment. 
We need more majoring in thinking and solving problems. So now we have all these thinkers here. And so what this person thinks is learned by all the rest of the people around the table. And you haven't said anything yet. And then what this person sees and thinks is learned by the others. And what this person accomplished is, is learned by the other arrows around the table. And they say, wow, you know, what he did with the youth is applicable to what I do over here in missions. That concept would work over here too. Best practices shared. Or you have to bring correction to this arrow. The other four are learning from that. You say, oh, that's terrible. We, we, I thought you're supposed to praise in public and correct in private. That's true. This is private. It's a private team meeting of builders for Christ. This is private. We're a team. We established the rules. I didn't get to that yet. But we established what the rules are, how we function together, what the conduct is here between us. And then when somebody decides they don't want to honor the rules and regulations for the way this team works, then it's going to get dealt with here. We're not trying to embarrass people. It's not some personal thing. We humiliate them. And there may be those times when you're their pastor and you do meet with them separately. But when we're, but when we're trying to disciple a team, we deal with it all right here because four people are learning or five are learning at the same time. We're learning from one another and there's this cross-roughing. And the level of learning accelerates. That's why we work together on, as t in teams. So we kind of covered these three things. Issues and problems turned into opportunities. That's the formula. Now questions. Pastor said... Susan loves those depth charge questions. And what's a depth charge question? Well, it's a Navy term. If, if, if we've got the fleet here, and here's the carrier in the center of the fleet, this is what they used to do in, in World War II. The, here's the aircraft carrier. It's got 5,000 men and all those planes and ammunition and goods and supplies and everything, and it's the most valuable ship. So it's in the center. Then it's surrounded by the cruisers and then the light cruisers, and then on the flank are the destroyers. And on the back of a destroyer, they had a, a thing that looked like a tin can or one of those roadside barrels, and it was filled with munition. And then it, they would, this enemy would want to sink the carrier first. And so the enemy subs were there wanting to sink, sink the uh, main feature of the convoy, and so they would want to be shooting torpedoes, and the destroyers are on the flank to detect emerging targets or vulnerabilities. One of the things I do in a, in a lot of the advanced training forums, uh, and a number of these partners know, but I'll say, okay, so what is, what's your greatest vulnerability? What's the greatest debilitator in your ministry? Quick, write it down. The top three, write them down right now. And when I see pastors, greatest vulnerability, wow, I wonder. Uh, I say, wait a minute, stop. You have to know that. You have to know that there are things that are dangerous to your getting, reaching the trajectory. What are the gaps? What are the danger things? What are the things that are emerging targets? What's going to hurt you? You need to know that all the time so that you can 
headed off at the pass so you can make sure you've got to protect your ministry from those things that are damaging. So you, and the Holy Spirit will tell you, but the way you surface the rest of them is through depth charge questions. So, what, so when they detected an enemy sub, a destroyer would go over the sub. They couldn't fire vertically at the time, just horizontally. They'd go over the sub, r drop the tin can off the stern, the depth charge. It would go down to a prescribed depth where, the, where they believed the, the sub was, the depth of the sub, and it would explode. And it would either knock out, it would, just, it would uh, put a rupture into the side of the sub, or it would knock out their generator just from the impact of the, of the blast, or it would knock out their fillings, and they'd say, we better raise the white flag and surface here, because this is getting bad. So, yeah, we need to surface. So that's why I call the, these things depth charge questions, because you become artful, not just at asking questions, but asking the right question at the right time to the right person. And what are you trying to do? Surface more facts. Things people don't want to talk about, things, they're telling you. Are you training and developing your team? I did that yesterday, right? And are you, oh yeah, bobblehead. You know, okay, well then we need to ask some questions that validate that they really are, as an example. So it's a most critical tool. And let me, you want some, some examples? I'll go very quickly. <clears throat> and these aren't in order, but there are like nine pages of depth charge questions here. And I've given them to the partners in the past. Um, and l let, me just, let me just give you an example of some of them. What's the best example from your toolbox that you've effectively applied to X, whatever? What were we just talking about? Yeah, give me, give me the best example of what you've done with your team to make sure that they're discipling. And if you pop the quiz, you're gonna ha you can tell right away. They're rolling their eyes, trying, making up stuff. The best counsel you have received in this time period and how did you use it? Where have you used emotional intelligence, which I think I mentioned, EQ, emotional maturity. Um, an example of, of character that you've witnessed on your team. Example of your team really learning something and learning how, whatever it is you're concerned about. Uh, give me an example of how you led through conflict. How are you looking toward the future? What have you done? I mean, what, what are... What is your yet most dysfunctional behavior? Where do you need help, Jesus said. What do you want me to do for you? So you build questions around that. Try to surface those things that you would know, so you would know what to teach them on. Are you asking your people what they need to be successful? And are you providing it? What was the last thing you provided to help somebody be successful? Come on, quickly, around the table, tell me. What have you done? You gotta, ha you gotta ascertain that these things are happening. Otherwise, you're just getting smoke. You say, oh, that's terrible. It's, it's just, it's so disrespectful. Where does it say that? It's disrespectful to hold people accountable? What, do you have a, the same Holy Spirit I have? He holds us accountable. He loves us enough to hold us accountable and to teach us things 
and to challenge us and stretch us. What barriers are you overcoming in your own leadership style to re achieve better potential? Uh, how are your people growing in whatever area you're concerned about? Give me an example of the most effective communication that you've had with your team in the last two weeks. Why should anyone be led by you? I've been asked that question by my bosses in the world system, and they were doing it out of love. Why, why would they be? What was the last great problem? What was the last great innovation that your team came up with? What needs refining? What strategic changes are necessary? What was the best coaching you've done? What was the best training? What did you do? The last when was your last training? What did you do? How did they respond? What did you teach them? Marginal, I see that one, marginal deception. Do, do you have any marginal deception on your team? This is the Christian form of lying. Half-truths, <laughs> half-truths. People beating around the bush and, you know, yeah, we're training our team because we did it once last year. Okay, the list goes on. So, it is a private meeting. So what do we do here, essentially? Well, we tell them who we are. You've got to tell them who we are, what we stand for, what we do, and why we're working as a team. Then we need to tell them what, how the team works, the rules for the team. We be on time. We honor our commitments. When, when I direct you to do something and then I say, when can you have that done? And they say, in three weeks, and, you, and that's acceptable to you? Sometimes it's not. Then you have to have some discussion here. And sometimes they enlighten you that it does take three weeks or two months to do something like that, and you have to accept that. We're not trying to abuse people, but they, you ask this person here, when can you have it done? Well, when they make a commitment to that, then it better be done then. And there, or, or there best be good reason. Why? Because this is too important. People's lives are at stake. When, when he made a change, 16 people got saved. This isn't a game. And I know you know that. But we let it behave. We behave. We allow people to behave like it's a game. With marginal deception and ah, I did my best. Well, what about doing whatever it took? to get that done because people are dependent upon this. God's sending us people. They're hurt. They're wounded. We're a spiritual hospital. If we were the, play, the, the hospital down the road here and you showed up and you were hurting and your goods are, you know, you got all, you were in an accident and you're holding every, bleeding profusely or you're Todd and you drive up in your motorcycle and you've ripped the first two layers of your, your aorta, and the third one is blowing up like a balloon, and they say, oh, we've met our 10 to 15%, you know, you'll have to go the one, you know, eight miles the other direction. This is serious. And I know you know that. I'm just challenging you to, 
tell them and make sure these guys sitting around the table and the B team and the C team understand it's serious. And we need help here. We need people to be responsible and to be on time and honor their commitment and have total and absolute honesty and that we will bring correction and we will discuss things that are not right. We're not into abuse. And if you don't want to be held accountable, you don't want to follow the rules, then that's okay. We love you, we care about you, but you can't be on the team. You cannot be on the team if you don't follow the rules. And then we have to have a couple covenants. And let me mention these, because they're an important part of discipleship. Two covenants that I'll give you. One is a workload covenant. And we're talking about, again, how the team must function. A workload covenant. So you're the broker of God's work. And, and what did I say? You don't do the work. You assign it. You're the broker. You're the disperser, the dispenser of God's work. So you have to broker out God's work to these arrows. And then they go. They leave the table here with the direction you've given them, and then they go and sit down with their team and s turn it into an opportunity. And then come back to the table with a plan that you approve. And even when you approve it, you don't say anything first, because what do they do now? They just watch you, like he just modeled, Pastor Whitfield. They all ducked, right, when one of them spoke. Yeah, they all climbed under the table, if, as, or as best they could. So, no, when, when somebody, that person there, the B team leader, comes to the table, back to the A team here, and sits down with the plan, the first thing the leader should do is turn to the team. Say, oh, what do you think about that? Oh, gosh, we can't do that. We'll have contention. You know, it'll be the wrong side of the ledger in Galatians 5. You know, this will be terrible. No, we have to have this honesty. Well, George here thinks that Marvin's ideas, not, not, that's not going to work from his experience. Or it sound, it, all of it's good except for point three there. That, that, that is dangerous. That would, not, that would backfire. But, you know, we're, we're kind of buds. And if I say anything, he's liable to criticize my plan. So I'm not, the heck with God, I'm not saying anything. No, you've got to cultivate constructive conflict. That's what you do sitting in this seat. You, so how do you do that? You turn and you say, oh, what do you all think about that? Well, the first time you have this meeting, they're going to say, what? What do I care? That's youth. I'm children. You know, or that's children. I'm youth. Who cares? Why do we care? Because we need a multitude of counsel on that. Otherwise, you'd be doing just what he said not to do, leaning on your own understanding. So you got, so what do you all think? Come on. And, you, and when you do that a few times, they realize, hey, he's serious. I better think, I better think about what they're saying. And he's going to need my counsel. Yes, you need a multitude of counsel, and that's how they're all. Then they learn how each other thinks, how they solve problems, what their perspective is. All of the things that are on the left side of the triangle there. Facts, perspective. Background, education, culture, different cultures. Then you, so, when you provide direction, though, to somebody, like this person went back to their team, then we have to have this covenant. 
If you feel you're unable to handle any assignment, your responsibility is to tell me about it immediately, right here. Immediately is right here, when I just gave it to you. That's immediately. If you feel you can't handle it, tell me about it now. And I give you a safe harbor to do that, and then we'll sit down and reason together. We'll sit here and reason together. Okay, well, help me understand why you can't handle it. Because I'm maxed out. I've been working to build my team, but I don't have a team, and this is all I can handle. Or they're not delegate. They have a team, but they don't use them. They just use them for errands. And now this thing's going to require some thinking, some planning. And you're, so you're going to you'll be matching perspectives. You'll be matching. And it's okay. We, we reason together here. So what would have to happen in order for you to do this? Or I can see that you can't do that until we build more depth. So when, when, what have you done to build your team? 